You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Spirit in our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He leads us. He guides us. He protects us. He does these kind of things for us. If God is at the beginning of your journey, you can trust Him that He will remain with you throughout the entire journey. He will make sure you reach your destination. I don't know about you, but I have a heavenly destination waiting for me, heaven. God began the work in me and He will complete it. Think of a small child hiking a trail with their dad. Even if the path is unknown to the child and their legs get tired and they can't go any further on their own, they know they can trust their dad to carry them to the end. Pastor Dave reminds us in today's message that our God will be faithful to complete what he started in us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra chapter 8 as he continues his message, What God Begins, God Completes. is practicing humbling yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. If you're turning your fast into some spiritual ego boost, you've missed the point. You've missed the entire point. You don't walk around and go, hey, I fasted today. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm bad. I fasted. That's not it. There's all kinds of examples in the Bible about fasting. People have abstained from food. Jesus fasted before his public ministry in Luke 4. Nehemiah fasted to help him confess his sins to God and turn away from them and to ask God for favor in the sight of the king Persia to get permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. David fasted and asked God to intervene because of injustice. David always fasted when he went to God. Mordecai and the Jews fasted upon hearing the news of Haman's wicked plot for their extermination. The early church fasted while worshiping and committing their ministry to the Lord. They also sought the Lord through fasting for guidance when they appointed leaders, Acts 13 and 14. Fasting is not a hunger strike between you and God. I'm not going to eat anything until God answers my prayer. Something in the Bible, a group decided that they weren't going to eat until they killed the apostle Paul. I wonder how many of them died of starvation. Because they never got to kill the Apostle Paul. But by golly, they were going to fast until that happened. I'm sure they were quite hungry. It can easily be to think of fasting as a way to add an extra boost to your prayers. But biblical fasting isn't so much about how God responds to your prayers. It's more about how you respond to God. It's more about how your prayers are lifted up to God as you're fasting. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. We know that. Fasting means humbling yourselves before God. In the Old Testament, fasting was usually accompanied by signs of humility and brokenness. Some of them would wear ashes and sackcloth and they would fast. They would weep, they would mourn, and they lament, as well as wearing ashes and sackcloth, like I said. 
We so desperately want this nation to be saved. We so desperately want this nation to come to the Lord. That's what the whole 2 Corinthians 7.14 means. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their cries from heaven and heal their land. Fasting is the biblical way to truly humble yourself in the sight of God. In Psalm 35, David says, I humbled myself with fasting. Fasting enables the Holy Spirit to reveal to you your true spiritual condition because you're spending time with God. You're taking what you usually do and you're spending it with God. Your confidence and faith in God will be strengthened. You will feel mentally and physically and spiritually refreshed after fasting. As I said, it's important to understand that fasting is not a way to get a better answer to prayer. True fasting means fostering a better, humble approach to God and approach to prayer. As I said, we think of fasting as food, which most of the times in the Bible it was food. However, fasting couldn't be anything. I mean, I think this is where they got the idea of Lent, giving up something, giving up something. I gave up beets. Oh, did I tell you? I hate beets. <laughs> but I gave them up for Lent. That's not the idea at all. It's not the idea at all. Some people fast one meal a day. And they use that time that they would normally have that meal to draw close to God. It's a way of drawing close to God. I love my man David Guzik, what he says regarding fasting. Quote, as with any spiritual discipline or duty... It is possible to fast without the right heart and to trust it as an empty ritual apart from its true spiritual reality. Real fasting, fasting that is partnered with real repentance and isn't only about image, has great power before God, unquote. Ezra knew this. Ezra understood this. So instead of when he got the Levites, when he got an answer to his prayer, when he sent these guys out, instead of quickly going on your way, he knew we need God's help. He knew that the only way we're going to get God's help is if we all together humble ourselves before God. If we all together seek God with our whole heart. If we all together come together as one in unity before we move forward. Because we're going through a very hostile, hostile territory. We've got a long... Remember, they've only been traveling for three weeks. So they probably had another 800 or so miles to go. Maybe less, maybe 700 or so. I don't know how many miles they made a day. So Ezra was a true spiritual leader. And... I found this to be humorous in verses 22 and 23. I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon for those for good who seek him and his power and wrath are against those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this. We fasted and entreated our God Ezra had spoken so much about God 
He had spoken about so much about the faithfulness of God. I mean, he's really building God up. God's going to help us. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. God. And then when it came time, he said, ooh, I can't ask for protection. The king will think I'm goofy. What do you mean? If I ask for protection, what's the first thing the king's going to say? I thought your God was going to protect you. Where's your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. You call yourself a Christian. <laughs> he had great confidence in the hand of God in the expedition. He didn't want to contradict his words because of his actions in asking the king. So they fasted. And look what happened at the end of verse 23. They fasted. And what? And he, God, answered our prayer. They fasted. They got together as one. They humbled themselves. I'm sure there was confession of sin. I'm sure they were cleansing themselves, getting ready to come to God. And look at this beautiful thing. And God answered our prayer. Another thing I like about Ezra, he's a great delegator. And he showed off his leadership ability. He chose 12 men to watch over the tons of treasure that had been given to them by the king. And that's the next section from verses 24 through 30. 24 through 30. And I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests. Why 12? It always equals the tribe. So one, he probably didn't know who was of which tribe, but he separated in honor of the 12 tribes, in honor of the 12 tribes. Plus, 12 usually means government, too. 12 can mean government. So I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests, uh, this Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, the articles of offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all of Israel who were present had offered. I weighed them into their hand 650 talents of silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth of 1,000 drachmas, and vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of our, your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of God. Twelve men, representing the twelve tribes of Israel, received all this offering. It was committed to them. These treasures were committed to these men, and they had to then successfully deliver them in Jerusalem, where they would all be accounted for. And they were responsible for this beautiful thing that God has given them from the king that he bestows upon us. What's the New Testament version of this? We must be good stewards of the manifold blessings that God gives us. We can't just take them and do whatever we want with them. The parable of the talents. Parable of the talents where two were given five and one was given one. And they two that had five got more money. They, they invested it. But the one who had it held on to it. And he put it in a, buried it or whatever he did with it. And the Lord didn't have good things to say about that poor guy for doing that. 
We have been given a manifold of grace. We've been given blessings galore. What do you do with them? We've been blessed. If you have a job, the Lord bless you with that job. What are you doing with it? The Lord has given you money. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with everything the Lord has given you? Are you a good steward of what God has given to you? Do you use it wisely? Or do you blow it and get rid of it as fast as it comes in? The Lord is showing you something. He wants you to be a good steward of what he has given you. He expects us to invest the treasure, not just guard it. These 12 had to invest it by taking it and giving it to the temple. They had to give it there. It had to be accounted for. And they accounted every single piece of it. They couldn't do anything they wanted with the money. It had to be used for God and God alone. God given us great things. He's given us abundant things and his love. What are you doing with them? What are we doing with what God has given you? First of all, what are you doing with the grace that God has given you? Are you using it as license? Well, I'm saved. I know my sins are forgiven, so I can live like any way I want. That's not a good idea. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with your salvation? Are you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Are you working towards that? Are you living like you're supposed to live? God has given you a breath today. What are you doing? How are you working out today? What's going on? Notice the success of the group. These last verses in chapter 8. Notice the success of Ezra's group. I'm going to read the end of the chapter. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 20th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem and... The hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. God was with them all the way. He protected them everywhere they went. Nobody attacked them. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there for three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest, and with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, with them were the Levites, Jezebad and Jeshua, Nodahiah, and the son of Benai, with the number and the weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 27 77 lambs and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and to the governors in the regions beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and to the house of God. Ezra led this group 900 miles, four months. And the hand of God was upon them, leading them, guiding them, and protecting them. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He leads us. He guides us. He protects us. He does these kind of things for us. If God is at the beginning of your journey, you can trust him that he will remain with you throughout the entire journey. He will make sure you reach your destination. I don't know about you, but I have a heavenly destination waiting for me, heaven. God began the work in me and he will complete it. And I'm so excited about that. It's not up to me to complete. God will do it because he's God. 
Each step of the way, God will see that we fulfill his loving purposes in our lives. He's not going to leave us, nor will he forsake us. And the interesting fact, thing about it is, is they took a couple of days to rest. They actually rested. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is nothing. We all need to be refurbished. We all need to be refreshed. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 6.31 to come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. Take a load off. Relax. Rest and rejuvenation is needed if you are in ministry or if you're living this life. It's okay not to be busy all the time. You're going to wear yourself out. You don't have to be busy all the time. We need to rest and allow the Lord to refurbish us, to replenish our lives, to get us stronger, to strengthen us, and be prepared for the next ministry opportunity. Take time to be with God. Rest in him. Trust in him. He's leading the way. The priest took the treasure to the temple, and it was accounted for them, and they sent a report to the king. Very smart move. King, this is where your money went, and we spent it. This is it. Got to be a good steward of the manifold blessings that you get. Then they sacrificed to the Lord, burnt offerings, sin offerings. This shows their dedication to the Lord. They just didn't arrive there and go, well, we did our job. We can sit back in a hammock and eat bonbons. I haven't used bonbons in a while, have I? They sacrificed to the Lord. These burnt offerings made the sacrifice even more savory. It gave a, a special meaning to the sacrifice, the burnt offerings. It became a, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord's nostrils. The entire animal was burnt as a sacrifice to God. The sin offering was made the idea of purification, especially for specific acts of transgression. Taking both sacrifices together, burnt and sin, you can see that they addressed the problem of sin and specific sins. So they really were coming clean. They really were doing what they had to do to get closer to God. They gave the support to the people. They gave the support to the house of God. This reminds me of the great purpose of his exposition in the first place. In the next two chapters... As we finish out this book, Ezra now is going to administer very strict correction, and he becomes a reformer. He did not come primarily as a disciplinarian. He came to give support to the people and to the house of God, but he wanted to teach them. And sometimes when you teach according to what Paul told Timothy, you need to rebuke, exhort, correct, etc. Sometimes teaching can be difficult. Especially if you're on the other end hearing something that went, whoa, wait a minute. This is what we do. He gave support to the people and to the house of God and then only dealt with the problems of sin and compromise as necessary for the greater goal. What's the greater goal? For seeking God. They had to cleanse themselves. So Ezra is now in Jerusalem. He began with the Lord's calling and placing a burning upon a heart. He was emboldened by the Holy Spirit to ask permission for the king to leave and take others with them. There's no wonder that the mission succeeded. There's no wonder that Ezra was successful in his travels. There's no wonder because the hand of God was with him. Why was the hand of God with him? Because he sought the Lord. Because he humbled himself. Because he asked the Lord. He was with the Lord. He was constantly there. 
Good hand of God started the mission. The good hand of God upheld the mission the entire way. And the good hand of God completed the mission. I'm going to leave you with one verse that I already mentioned. Putting it back to ourselves. One verse that I already mentioned earlier in the message. You can find it in Philippians 1. In verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he, the Lord, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice where Paul's confidence was. Paul's confidence wasn't in himself. It was in the Lord, being confident that he who began the work. Paul knew that the Lord would complete the work in him. I know that the Lord will complete the work in you. He will complete it, it says, until the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means the rapture of the church, or if some of us go through the valley of the shadow of death, when we meet the Lord face to face, it'll be complete. It'll be finished. Complete. However, however, the work for salvation has already been done. The work for salvation is complete on the cross. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. So that work is done. It's complete. God completed that work for salvation. And he's working in you, constantly working in you. And he will complete the work. Be confident of that. Know that. Trust in that. God is not out to get you. God is a loving God. His loving kindness is better than life, it says. Know that God will complete the work that he began in you. Paul's confidence was in God's ability, not his own, And so was Ezra's. Ezra knew that if he drew close to God, God would see him through. Do you know that tonight? I hope you know that tonight. I hope that you know, and that's what you're trusting in tonight, that God is leading you through this thing called life. With the bumps in the road, over the roller coaster sometimes, you know, God's still leading you. He's still leading you. He's still guiding you. He's still there. Confidence. We need to have confidence in him to do what he has said in his word to do because he is always faithful. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for chapter 8 of Ezra. Thank you, Lord, for touching our hearts this way and showing us these scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your hand, which is constantly upon each and every one of us, guiding us, leading us, working in us, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit, which is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit that is our guide, that is our helper, that is our comforter. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is showing us and leading us into the truth of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that when we need boldness, your Holy Spirit gives us boldness. Thank you, Lord, when we need comfort, your Holy Spirit gives us comfort. Thank you, Lord, that we can pray to you in spirit. We can pray to you through our spirit life. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. And thank you, Lord, for being with us forever. You be glorified. And Lord, as we wait for you, wait for you to come and take us, Lord, we want to be patient and we want to be confident that it'll happen. We have your word on it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You are Ezra 6, 19-20 says, On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. 
So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all of the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. The Feast of Passover was a reminder of God rescuing His people from Egypt and a foreshadowing of when Jesus would die to rescue all of us from sin and death. It's so fitting that the people would celebrate Passover when God stepped in to rescue them from oppression once again. I love the incredible way that God showed us in a million different ways through all the stories and all the feasts that His plan was always to rescue you and I. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is opening up the book of Ezra for us and showing us all the ways that this book points to Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you've been here with us today. I hope you'll return again for when Pastor Dave continues through Ezra. In the meantime, we'd like to invite you to come visit in person. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. You can find out more about this on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Our service times and directions are listed there, as well as links to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube for anyone who can't make it in person. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back with more next time as Pastor Dave shares all the ways Ezra shows us a sure hope. You've